It's nice to see you here today. Thanks for coming this morning. We're in part two of our series, and today's message is about expecting the best. Most people never take advantage of what God really offers us. He offers us more than what we want to even believe that he'll give us. In Ephesians 3.30 in your notes, it says, God is able to do super abundantly far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. That's what God can do. You know, you think of the greatest thing that you can imagine, and God says, I can top that. And we can imagine some pretty amazing things. And for God to be so above us and so powerful and so amazing that even what we imagine, he can do more. That's phenomenal. And we have access, as you read scripture, we have access to God. We can talk to him. We can call on him. There's promises in the Bible that, you know, we can use, we can believe, we can have faith, and we can believe in God for great things. It's almost like, you know, God's offering us an atomic power, but we settle for firecracker lives. God wants to give us so much more than what we are willing to believe him for. In Matthew 9, 29, it shows the key that unlocks God's great power. In Matthew 9, 29, it says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. It makes me wonder, how many things could have been more exciting and amazing in my life if I would have just had the faith to go for it? See, what happens is too many times in our lives, we look at our inability and we disqualify ourselves. And we don't even have the faith to try. I would, not be, I would not be speaking right now if it was up to my own faith. Because when I was a, a college student, one thing that I was, my, my most uncomfortable thing, I guess you could say your biggest fear, was public speaking. Can you believe that? And I wasn't going to do it. Ever, because it was the biggest fear I had is standing in front of people and talking. I could talk one-on-one, but a friend of mine, it wasn't me, a friend of mine asked me to lead a Bible study for me, him, and two guys that we knew. I could do that. First of all, it was all guys. There were no women there. That was easier for me because I didn't feel like I was, you know, uh, I was too shy, you know. And it was me and these three guys, and it was great. Did the Bible study? No problem. The next week, I didn't expect one of the guys to bring his girlfriend, and she, defi- she decided to bring her friends with her. So the next week, there was 11 of us, and when there was, you know, I was a college student, when there was these uh, girls present, I got really nervous now, because then I cared about what I looked like and what was going on, and when it was just me and the guys, it didn't matter. And I got, and I was really nervous, and I sweated my way through leading that Bible study, and one of the girls that came, she didn't know that much about God, and, and that was the day that she committed her life to follow Christ. She came and talked to me afterwards and had a lot of questions, and before that evening was over, she made a commitment to Christ and became a regular part of that group. Well, the next week, we had 19 people show up. Then it was 26, then it was 40, and before long, I was with 110 college students meeting every Monday night for a Bible study. I was doing public speaking every week. 
But on my own, I would have never gotten there. I didn't have enough faith. Sometimes God in his great grace says, I want to use you in a certain way, but you don't have enough faith to even get there. So I'm going to get somebody else to trick you into leading that Bible study, not knowing what's going to happen later on. If God would have told me in a year's time there's going to be 110 people coming to that study, I would have chickened out. Because I would have said, I can't do this. You know, I, I, I'd be too nervous. Oh, I, it would ruin my life. I would be dreading Monday nights. I'm not going to go dread every Monday night because that's where I was at that time. By the time we grew to 110 people, I was, it was normal now because it was gradual and God gave me a way to get there. But that was something that God showed me grace and he allowed me to do it anyway. How many things have I chickened out of that I could have been blessed so much more if I would have just had the faith to try? Just the faith to try. So a lot of times we get out of life what we expect. Praise God for his grace that sometimes he intervenes and blesses you in spite of your lack of faith, in spite of your unwillingness to take a risk. Praise God he'll bless you sometimes. But I'm telling you, we've probably all missed a lot of really good blessings in our life just because we didn't have the faith, the guts to go for it. Because it takes faith to do something that you're afraid to do. It takes courage to do something that you're afraid to do. So this verse says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. That's the law of expectations. What are you expecting out of life? Because usually you won't, usually you won't get beyond what you expect. Why? Because you won't try. You won't try. If I don't believe I can do this, do you think I'm going to even try? I'm not going to try if I don't believe it. Unless I'm willing to take a step of faith and risk and go for it in spite of me not believing I can pull it off. Anything that I know I can do takes zero faith. It takes zero faith for me to do it if I know I can do it already. It takes faith when I don't believe I have the ability to pull it off for whatever reason, fear or lack of training or whatever it is. It takes faith then to go for it. And anything good in life, anything that you're going to achieve beyond the norm is going to take a step of faith. And God wants to bless us more than what we want to be blessed sometimes because of our own fears. So we tend to get out of life what we expect to get out of life. If we expect this is the best I can do, that's what we shoot for. If we have faith, we shoot for more. We believe in a God for big things. And I I want us to be followers that live by faith faith and not by fear. Because that's a choice. I'm going to either live by faith or I'm going to live by fear. I say you can be an optimist or pessimist. In your notes, you can write in the first one, the pessimist. Job was a pessimist. In Job 3.24, it says, everything I fear and dread comes true. And you know what? Everything he feared and dreaded did come true. It's almost like he was setting himself up a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, when people say, I don't think I can do it, they, they probably can't. You have to say, even if you know, if you're, you can be a realist, and it doesn't mean you're being a pessimist. Here's what a realist would say. I don't have the ability to do that, but with God's help, I'm going to try. But they're being a realist. Here's a pessimist. I could never do that because there's no faith involved in that because you're not even giving God a chance. Maybe with God's help, you can but they won't try. 
when you're a pessimist in that type of way, you're going to limit the good that you can do. The second is the optimist. Paul was an optimist. In Philippians 1.20, it says, I live in eager expectation while, while I'm going through these trials. That's an optimist. He doesn't say, I have these eager expectations because my life is going great. He says, I have these eager expectations while I'm in these trials. So while he's in a bad situation, he's believing for something good. That's an optimist. A pessimist might be in a bad situation, and they're believing something bad. Life is just horrible for me. Things aren't going to get better. Like I said, you can be realistic. My situation's bad. That's, come on. You have to be real. My situation's bad. But you're believing for something better because you believe that God's powerful and he can make a difference. So why should I expect the best? I'm going to look at three reasons why we need to expect the best. It's illustrated from 1 Samuel, the story of David and Goliath. You know, David had great expectations of God in that situation. You know, by looking at things, he was going to get defeated. Goliath was a great warrior, a huge guy. David was really um, a teen still. Had no business being in that situation in a warrior fight like that. Had no training as a soldier, but he had faith in God. And you find out that that honored God. And you notes, it honors God when you have faith in him. I'm trusting him. That honors God. William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God, because that brings honor to the Lord. So you are expecting God to do something great, so you attempt something great. And what happens is when you attempt something great, you might not reach your goal. You might not reach your goal. But when you're attempting something great, you're going to reach something. There's only one guaranteed way of failing is not to attempt. You know, not to attempt. I'm not going to try. Well, yeah, yeah, guaranteed failure. Don't try. But if you expect something great, you know, I'm, I'm expecting something great. I'm going to go for it. You're going to get somewhere. You're going to get somewhere farther than what you are before you try. So you expect something great, and you go for it. You try. And you know it increases your ability. Athletes know that the winning edge has a lot to do with your attitude. When I start coaching wrestling, a lot of the wrestlers that were on the team before I got there, they were pretty good. They were pretty good, but they weren't having any results. And a lot of it was the mentality in the room. If inside the room you're used to being on a team that loses, I think you just sort of accept it. This is who we are. And, it's, and when you go in as a coach that believes in winning, you know, because you, you don't do a sport with, what's your goal in the sport? Oh, our goal is to be mediocre. No, you, 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 you want to try to win. So when you have a coach that believes in winning coming in there, it's hard to change the mindset of the kids that have been in a program already for a few years and have accepted mediocrity as a way of life. It's really hard. It takes a lot of motivation. 
some of those kids needed to graduate off, and I had to protect the freshmen from their mindset. So I focused on freshmen because uh, otherwise it would filter down. So, you know, I had to protect them. I had to just let some of them graduate off. I tried to motivate the ones that were open. But in a few years, now we were the championship team. But, you know, so much of it has to do with the mindset, the attitude. They can be just as good, but if these guys believe in themselves and these guys don't, it shows when they get out there on the mat or whatever the sport, sport is that you're doing. It shows. Muhammad Ali, at one point, his record was 55 wins and two losses. As he started getting probably too old to still box, he lost a couple more fights after that point. But at that point, he was 55 and two, which is an amazing record. And he had one thing common in the two losses. In press conferences, he's only done this twice in his, all of his boxing. In press conferences, he said, if I were to lose... Those words only came out of his mouth before a fight that he had with uh, Joe Frazier and before a fight that he had with Kenny Norton. And he lost both of those fights. Those are the only two fights he lost up to that time. Obviously, like I said, he, he kept boxing when he was kind of too old to keep going and lost them later on. But at that point, when he was still, uh, that, those were the only two. Those are the only two times that you can imagine Muhammad Ali ever saying anything with a seed of doubt. But I think, it affect, I think it has something to do with the losses. It's the only time he ever said anything like that in a press conference, and he lost both of those fights. So your mindset can affect you. The way you're thinking, you can actually be the better person at what you're doing, but if your mindset's not where it needs to be, you, you can have failure just because of lack of belief in yourself and what you believe can happen or lack of belief in God helping you. I think of David, he goes, and there's Goliath there, and he's going to take on the soldier with the slingshot, and he goes, and it says he picks up five round, smooth stones, so that's how he's going to get it. It's one of those slingshots that, you know, you whip around like this, and um, he picks up five stones. If he had faith, wouldn't he just pick up one stone? Why does he pick up five? And it looks on the, it looks like at the beginning, like in case I miss, I've got another one. But later on, when you read the Bible, it says Goliath came from a family of five large men. He had four brothers, is what it talks about. And they were all huge. When you see that, why did he take five stones? Because Goliath was number one. And then I'm going after the rest. And that's what I think he was really thinking. I don't think it was a sign of like, maybe I'll miss. I'll take up. It was like, I know I'm not going to miss. He's been practicing this forever. I think he was super confident. I'm going to get him. And then I'm going after those other four big guys. I'm going to take them out. This is gonna, we're going to end our trouble with these enemies. They're not going to be bothering us anymore. So people were thinking, he's too big. To, he's too big. I can't beat him. I think David's saying he's too big, I can't miss. This is, I've got this one. A third thing is it encourages others. When you're optimistic, it's contagious. You know, some people are born with a personality that naturally is more realistic, okay? And they see things. 
more realistic. And that's okay. But no matter how realistic you are, if you don't have faith to believe that God can do more, that's a spiritual problem. You want to be optimistic in your realism. Some people can falter on the other side. They can think that optimism means, you know, um, optimism to them might mean believing something that is just ridiculous, you know, as well. You don't want to be, you want to be realistic. There's nothing wrong, or wrong with saying, Jimmy, I'm just born seeing things realistic. That's a healthy, normal, good thing. It's only negative if you don't trust God to be able to do more. Because that's when it affects your faith. When you can only see the circumstances and you can't see God moving within that. George Gallup, he did, you know who he is, the Gallup polls. He did a lot of surveying of people. He found some evidence of how faith is good for people. As he was surveying people, here's what he found out. The people with the most faith, the most devout people to their faith, were the happiest people he surveyed. They were healthier than people without faith. They were more ethical. They were more tolerant of people different than them. They were more apt to perform charitable acts. They were more apt apt to give money to help others. They were more concerned about the betterment of society. It's kind of funny because sometimes we get the idea that the more religious somebody's going to be, the more closed-minded and bigoted they become. Yeah, that's, what you, that's what I pick up from television and stuff like that. You have the idea, like, if they're really religious, they're a bigot, they're closed-minded, they can't think outside of a box. But the funny thing is, according to the, uh, George Gallup polls, he found the complete opposite of that. They're the most tolerant people, people of faith. Faith brings optimism to the world. Faith helps the world to feel better about themselves. So how do we stay optimistic? I think faith is like a muscle. You know, if you exercise it and get proper rest, you get stronger. And there's things that you can do to exercise your faith where your faith gets stronger. So let's look at some things that we can do. And this will help you to be more optimistic. Number one in your notes, start your day with faith. Studies have shown that the first 10 minutes of your day kind of sets the tone for how you're going to be. And many times, if you're someone that wakes up just feeling bad, that's probably going to affect your whole day or at least throughout from the morning till noon. Or it's, it's going to have a negative effect on your day. In Psalms 5.3, it says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. What is he saying here? He starts his day with God, specifically in the morning. He didn't start his day by getting up and watching the news. And here's why I say this. If your habit is to watch the news, 90% of the stuff on Bad News America or whatever, the, uh, whatever you watch in the morning, 90% of the stuff that you hear on news is negative stuff. And then you go on the computer, you know, 90% of the news you get there on the Internet it's negative. That's what sells for whatever reason. And then you drive to work or you're eating your Cheerios and you read the paper. 90% of what you're going to read is bad news. And then you're driving to work and the talk radio, 90% of what they're going to talk about is bad news. Because for whatever reason, when something bad happens, it sells. And it gets people attention. They go and even talk about it at work. 
I think for your psyche and for your health, not that you ignore the news, but I think you start your day with good news. You start your day uh, reading the Bible, thinking about God, what God can do. Because it changes your view on these negative things. It's not that you don't see them, but you see that God's bigger than this. I can trust God over these circumstances. I can be positive because you started off with your mind on God. But if you start your mind off on the problems, I think it's easy to feel like the world's falling apart. Everything's going down the drain. We're in a horrible situation. I don't think that's a healthy way to live. I think that's going to tear you down. It's not going to build you up. Build you up. In Psalms 118.24, it says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. You heard Jerry and the band saying that song from this verse. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I put that in your notes because if you're struggling with having a positive outlook, the first thing to do in the morning is say that verse to yourself five times every morning. Start your day with that. Start your day with that. Someone might say, well, why would I do that? Because optimism actually releases endorphins in your mind that literally make you feel better. You can do things that help you feel good in the morning. Some people say, the only thing that helps me feel good in the morning is if I get coffee. And I'm saying, no, it, it can be, you don't have to rely on coffee to be the only thing that makes you feel good. You can start with your mind positive. You believe God's in control. He's bigger than my problems. And you're trusting him. And you can be lifted up in the morning. You don't have to start the morning on a downer. It's going to affect the way that you live that whole day. Number two, look for the good in your situation. Obviously, not everything's good. But you look for the good in the situation. A lot of times you can find good in a situation that's bad. In Romans 8, 28, it says, For those who love God, who are called according to his plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. You can circle, you know, pattern for good. God specializes in bringing something good out of what seems to be bad. Obviously, when the disciples saw Jesus being crucified on the cross, that was bad. You know, they're killing Jesus. That was bad. But Jesus was bringing a good out of the bad. He was actually on there dying to pay off the penalty of our sins. And then what good came out of that as well? He rose back to life. It gave them so much confidence that eternal life was real because they saw a dead man come back to life. So, so much good came out of what looked to be so bad at that time. And when I'm talking about optimism, one thing I don't care for uh, in, in faith and religion is that psychological pep talk, like, in the name of Jesus, da-da-da-da-da. You know, and they're just, they're, use, they're just psyching themselves up. I don't think it has to be a phony, self-made, psych myself up. I think it's just trusting God. It's just trusting God. Now, if your personality is naturally, you know, be yourself, but it's not about any sort of phony pep talk. It's about trusting God. I trust God, so I believe everything's going to be okay. Because anything that you have to psych yourself up to, somebody else can take back away. Because it's all about you and your ability to psych yourself up. But trusting in God is a different thing. 
I'm trusting God, even if the situation is bad. Even if I feel like crying, I'm going to trust God. Thomas Edison gave us, I think, a good example of look for the good in your situation. When he was 67 years old, his laboratory burnt down. And not only did he lose millions of dollars of equipment back in those days, no telling how much it would be worth to, you know, today, but he also lost all of his records. You know, all of his life's work was burned up. And that's pretty devastating. But here's what he said. He said, there's a great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up with it as well. Not only all of his positive, but all my, every, all my mistakes got burned up as well. And he said, he says, thank God I get to start all over. Now, obviously, it had to be devastating to him. But I think one of the reasons why he was so successful in life, it was his own mindset. He didn't have that ability to see disaster as the end. He was in his 60s. He's lived life long enough. He's seen things come and go. I'll come back. I can come back. I get to just start all over again. It's a, you know, he turned it into a positive, even though everything looked like it's a negative. That takes a lot of faith to do that, to trust that good can come out of something that seems so bad. I see this a lot of times where a, per- a person more, I can't tell you how many times, situations where someone loses their job and they're so depressed about it. And then later on, they get a different job and they say, I would have never gone into this field of work if it wasn't for me losing my other job. But I found what I was created for. This is the best thing that's ever happened to me. But when they lost their job, they weren't thinking that. When they lost their job, it was just horrible. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen in spite of their faith, in their lack of faith, God was still showing them mercy and getting them in the right situation. And now they're just so thankful for what God's done. So I think it's a mistake when you see something negative to allow those circumstances to influence you. They're just circumstances. God's bigger than this. God's going to have a way to work this for the good. I don't know how, but I believe he's going to work it for the good. Number three, give your problems to God. Worry comes when you assume responsibility for things that you have no control over. You're trying to control it. You can't control it, so you're worried. I'm saying, give it to God. When I start playing God, I'm going to get discouraged. I have no control over this situation. God, I'm giving it to you. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 11, he says, We were crushed and overwhelmed and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. Now, it doesn't sound good to me. We were crushed, overwhelmed, saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good? What's good about that? But that was good, for then we put everything into the hands of God. What he's saying is even Paul was in this situation, and he said, unfortunately, things had to get this bad before even I put everything in the hands of God, because he's human like us. We tend to try to control things. But he says, but it was good for then we put everything into the hands of God, for he can even raise the dead. We saw him raise up Jesus. Come on, why are we worried? He can raise the dead. He's big enough to handle this problem. And then he says, and he did help. And we expect him to do it again and again. You give your problems to God. <clears throat> the more you're in the habit of giving your problems to God, things that you can't have no control over, the more you're in the habit of doing that and letting go of the worry and allowing him to take care of it, you see how it works out. 
And then the next time, ha- next time it happens, you just give it, it's out of my control. I'm just going to give it to God. I'm going to trust him. And then it works out. Next time it happens, instead of me carrying all the stress, anxiety, and worry, I'm going to give it to God. And then it works out. You know what starts happening? Each time it works out, your faith in God becomes stronger and stronger. You start realizing, he works it out. He works it out. I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to live this life of stress anymore. He works it out. Trust in the Lord when you're crushed and overwhelmed. Give your problems to God when it looks out of control. The fourth thing is eliminate negative words. You can talk yourself into feeling bad. You can, you can talk yourself into feeling depressed. Something happens and it's bad, but the more you think about it and talk about it, makes it worse. It's almost like it's bad what they did. What, what, it's bad what the situation did, but my own talking about it made it even worse for me. I, I, I become my own worst enemy. You don't need to be your own enemy. You, you can talk yourself into feeling sick. Has that ever happened to you? Like someone got sick at something and you think, oh, I wonder if it's the same food that I ate. And now all of a sudden your stomach starts hurting. And you're not even sick. But you're just thinking, oh, well, they ate this, that. Oh, I ate that too. I wonder if it's that. And automatically you start feeling it and you're not even sick. You didn't even get it. But we can do this. We can talk our mind into things that are negative. Marie Chavalier was asked, what does it feel like to be alive at 82? And he says, considering the alternative, fantastic. (laughs) So, you know, praise God, I'm alive at 82. The Bible has a lot to say about what we say in our words. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, don't use harmful words in talking. Use only helpful words, the kind that build up. And you can circle that word only. Use only helpful words. It's a major theme in the Bible to be positive because that's expecting the best. It's a demonstration of faith. I I, I believe that God's going to work it out. It's impossible to please God without faith. I'm trusting him. I'm trusting him. You know, people say things like, what the mind can conceive, you can achieve. I'm not saying that. Because to me, that's really hogwash. What the mind can, the reason why I'm saying that is what the mind can conceive, you can achieve. No. You know what you can achieve? You can achieve what God wants you to achieve. Because sometimes what my mind conceives has, I, I, I can never achieve it because that's not God's will for my life. God has us all with different gifts. He's given everybody different gifts. He's given everybody different talents, different abilities, different hearts, passions, different personality types, different experiences. He gave you all that so that you can be the best you that you can be. But I can conceive in my mind being a professional football player, but I promise you it won't happen. It just won't happen. You know, I can conceive it, but it's not going to happen. Why? Because that's not what God's called me to be. It's not what... So, so... I'm not talking about things like that that sound clever, but it's not really true. I'm talking about trusting God, relying on God, and you can be everything that you're meant to be, and you would have the best life ever if you just became the best you that you're supposed to be, not trying to be somebody else. I'm not going to try to be some, you know, reach some goal that's not what I'm wired to be, but I want to be the best Jimmy that I can be with my gifts and talents and the things that God's given me. And I want to better those gifts. I want to sharpen those skills to make it better. Just because you have gifts and talents, if you don't sharpen them, 
you know, you're not going to be that successful. But you take your gifts and you sharpen them. You use them for the good. James 3.5 says, The tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. Do you agree with that? And not only for ourselves. I can use my tongue to defeat myself in the way I'm thinking, but I can set up others for, fa by, uh, for failure. Do you think a little kid that hears his parents say, you'll, you'll never amount to anything, do you think that's going to affect what they believe about themselves, what they believe God can do in their life? It's totally going to affect it when that comes from a parent because little kids believe what adults tell them. They do. They believe it. And because they believe it, it shapes them. You want to speak words of encouragement to your kids, words that make them believe that they can be successful. You don't want to destroy the kid. You don't want to label them. The Bible talks about the tongue being a rudder on a ship. Though it's so small compared to the ship, it controls the whole ship. And it's saying, so your t uh, though your tongue is so small compared to the body, it controls the direction of your life. Because if my tongue, if my self-talk is negative... And I don't believe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not be what I was meant to be. If my self-talk is positive, I'm optimistic, I believe that God can do great things, so I'm willing to try, I'll probably get way more out of life because I'm willing to try. So I don't want to focus on what I think I can do. I want to be realistic, and then I want to put in faith in God and expect Him to do something more and try and simply step out and try Number five, associate with positive people. Attach yourself to hopeful people. That's one of the reasons to be in a church is so that you can be with positive people because the wrong crowd can bring you down. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, bad companions ruin good character. It's like if you want to soar with the eagles, you can't be running with the turkeys. You know, if you want to, you know, you have to hang around the right people. I've said this before. No matter what your goals are in life, let's say you have different goals in life, um, I can pretty much tell you by the people you hang around with whether or not you'll reach those goals. Pretty much known. I can tell you by the people you hang around with whether or not you can reach the goals that you have. Because you have to have, if you want to be successful in a certain area, you better spend time with people that are successful in that area. You better learn with them. You better, you know, try to connect with them. Uh, if you don't have those relationships, then it's just wishful thinking because they've got information that they've learned that you've got to connect with. So it's more than having a positive outlook. It's also being with the right people, associating with the right people, having the positive people in your life. If I want to live a positive moral life, I better be surrounded by people that are living a positive moral life and have that be an influence. If I want to be a, um, successful in any area of your life, that's what, that's what you do. You get around the right people. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that negative people that you don't have anything to do with them. You know, you always want to be loving toward all people. But your major support group, you want them to be positive people that are going to be encouraging. You know, economics has a lot to do with expectations. What happens is when the experts start saying it looks like the market's going to go down, what do people do? They pull their money out because they're afraid the market's going to go down. 
what happens when people pull their money out? The market goes down. And then when they say, it looks like the market's going to go back up, the experts say that, people hear that, and they, they put their money back in. And you know what happens? The market goes up. So much of the market has to do with expectations. Maybe if they didn't say anything, it would have stayed up. Who knows? But so much of the way that money works in, those, in the market is like that. So what you expect, you usually get. When you think about people, there are some people that are inspiring and there are some people that are draining. Love everybody, but get inspiring people into your life. People that inspire you. People that get you excited. People that keep you going. If you're having a struggle in your marriage, get around people that inspire you in that way, that would encourage you in your marriage. If you're having struggles with a teenager, get around people that seem to have a good grip with that, that are inspiring you with your teen, you know, that they, they seem to do a good job with their kids, and you get around them, and you learn from them, and, you, you know, they inspire you. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You've got to be around inspiring people in the areas that you want to be successful at. But let's say that you're around draining people, people that are negative and only see the bad in everything. It's really going to make you feel like there's no hope. There's no hope. Nothing can get better. Why? Because everybody I've talked to, you know, like uh, my marriage is having problems. So I talk to this guy that hates women. And I talk to this guy that hates women. And I talk to this. And then I say, I have no hope. Women are evil. You know, that, that's what it does. You know, that's how it affects your mind. So you have to be around inspiring people that are going to encourage you. Number six, remember your future. See, if you put your faith in Christ, you don't believe that this is the end. You believe that there's heaven. You believe that one day you're going to be with the Lord. And when things feel so tough and discouraging and difficult, sometimes it's good in that moment to remember this isn't paradise. This isn't paradise. There's something waiting for me better than this. I think of that story where World War II ended and General Eisenhower was coming home from Europe and thousands of people in New York were greeting him with the banners, welcome home, Ike, and they were so excited because the war was over. But a lot of people don't know on that same plane, there was an American missionary that spent over 50 years of his life in Africa reaching out, helping the people with their needs in a time, you know, that it was hard to get people to go and help people. And they, they was helping the poor, you know, helping to dig wells. Back in those days, they would do it by hand. The conditions were horrible. And he was just there to love on those people and do whatever he could. But here's what it cost him. The work and the conditions were so hard that he had two children. And over that 50-year period, both of them eventually died of malaria. And his wife eventually died of malaria. But he still felt like that God had called him to these people that everybody else was just ignoring. You know, because, and he was just loving them and sharing with them about, about the Lord, but trying to meet their needs and trying to raise up money from people and whatever he could do to, to, to fulfill what he believed his calling was in life. And he remembered after 50 years of a, a tough life and he came back in poor health seeing all the celebration for Eisenhower. And as he was getting off the plane, seeing that nobody there was even there to pick him up. And he felt like the devil was whispering in his ear saying, 
See what you did? You know, you were so excited about serving God, and look at what God gave you. You lost your wife, you lost your kids, poor health. Like, big winner you were. What a stupid mistake that was. That's what he felt like the devil was whispering in his ear. Nobody's here to celebrate your coming home. And then he felt like God was whispering in his ear, yes, it's because you're not home yet. You're not home yet. His celebration was coming. His celebration was coming. Sometimes we have to re realize in life, we're not home yet. This is the fallen world. Sometimes things are really bad, and we just have to think, this is the world. Real happiness, that is gonna, it's in heaven where it says there's no more sickness, no more tears, no more weeping. That's in heaven. It's not here. Sometimes life is hard here. But you won't be in heaven for 30 seconds before you'd be thinking like, oh, I could have done more. You know, I could have prayed more and given more and loved more and been more and served more. You're thinking, like, my priorities, why did I make some things so important that really weren't? And some things that were really important, I neglected. When you're in heaven, you, you'll realize, like, what real priorities are. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, no mere man has ever seen, heard, or imagined what wonderful things God has ready for those who love the Lord. God has wonderful things ready for you. Eternity is going to be more than what you can imagine. Now, at the beginning, we looked at two verses. God is able to do super abundantly above, over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, dreams. That's almost like God saying, here's a blank check. You know, fill it out for what you want. You know the verse that says, um, according to your faith that will be done? God wants us to expect more than ourselves. If we're going to do a study of faith, it's all about expecting more than what I can do on my own. And when you look at Jesus, he almost always did more than what people expected. A guy came to Jesus and said, will you heal me? And what Jesus did is he healed him and he did something more. He forgave him of his sins. He did more than what the guy asked. That's what you see. The people said, uh, it's getting late. It's time to send the people home. The, peop God ex they, the people expected Jesus to send the people home. But he did more than what he, they expected. He fed all 5,000 of them with, what was it, um, five loaves and two fish or something like that and fed all 5,000 of them. He did way more. His disciples expected to fight against the Romans. You know, let's resist. And Peter pulled out a sword and actually struck one of them and cut the guy's ear off when the, when the Romans were coming to take Jesus away. They expected to fight, to resist the Romans from taking Jesus away and crucifying him. But what did Jesus do? He did more than what they expected. He let them take him. He died. And then he came back to life. Who would ever expect that? After you're dead, to come back to life. What I'm saying is Jesus always does more than what you expect. So if you look at your situation and whatever you're trying to do, and if you're expecting what you think you can do, you have no faith. A person of faith, I want you to expect more than what you can do, which means I have to trust God for that to happen. I can't do that. 
It's more than what I'm able to do, so I'm trusting God. You know, I have a dream for this church. I want us to be a place where if you're hurting and you feel hopeless, you feel discouraged, depressed, frustrated, confused, that you find love and acceptance and help and hope and forgiveness and guidance and encouragement here. This is the type of family that we have. You know, I have a dream of us sharing God's love with people all throughout this community. You know, I have a dream of us growing spiritually together through times like this, through seminars, through retreats. I have a dream that we become closer and closer friends, you know, loving, laughing, and learning together. I have a dream. But I don't have the ability as one person to pull that off. So I'm expecting God to do something bigger than what I have the ability to do. One person can't make all that happen. I'm expecting God to just step in. I try, and instead of living by fear and thinking, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it, I'm going to live by faith and try and allow God to do whatever he's going to do. But guaranteed failure is not to try. You might be here today, and you're expecting to get a lab report back from a doctor or a pink sip. You think you're going to get laid off. Are you having some sort of difficulty with your kids or a family problem or a marriage problem or some important decisions coming up? And maybe you're expecting the worst. I want to encourage you to expect the best. Don't expect the worst. Expect the best. Expect that God's big enough to make this thing work, to work it out. With that, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we know that we go through tough times and things can get us down. Lord, we ask that you help us to keep our eyes off the problem and on you. Lord, help us to say yes to you. Help us to open our eyes to your power, to your presence. We ask that you fill us with your love, your peace, your presence, your power, your strength. Help us to be a people of faith that believe and expect you to do more than what we have the ability to do. We want to thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.